1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of in the Gloves. Thank you for joining us. Tim, it's not often I get a player to come on the show who I I kind of look up to, who when I was playing, I, I kind of molded my game after him. And it's, it's not a stretch to say that this guy was a modern day renaissance man. You know, he, he kind of does it all. He's shirking now, but he was. You want to play physical? Let's go. We'll play physical. I'll bury you through the boards. You want to score goals? All right, I'll, I'll put two or three on the board. You want to fight? I'll crush your face in. Whatever you want to do, I will do it, and I will do it better than you. Shay Weber? Better than Shea Weber. More talented, tougher. Um, a power play specialist? He's the best that's ever existed. He holds the records for most power play goals in a season with 19. I'm very happy to have this guy in our show. I was terrified of him during my playing years. I played against him many times. I watched him destroy one of my teammates in Craig Weller while I was in the press box, thankfully, eating popcorn and just getting fat. Sheldon
0: Suray is joining the show. Thank you, Sheldon, for
1: joining us, my man.
0: Buddy, man, I wish you were my agent. Wow, that was uh, <laughs> that was some crazy stuff right there. That's that to be, came to me yesterday.
1: Yesterday, that's honestly, that's I was thinking about this. I'm like, Sheldon Suray, I'm like this guy, because uh, – I grew, I was just behind you. I was born in 82. I think you were born in 70
0: ish, six, six, yeah, seven, six. Yeah. I was
1: just behind you. So when I was entering the league, when I was trying to take that next step, I'm like, who do you uh, you know, want to pattern your game after? And I was taller. I wasn't as good as you, but I'm like, man, this guy does it all. Oh, like it, literally tough can put points on the board, got a cannon of a shot responsible defensively does everything. Absolutely everything. Right. Am my, Correct me if I'm wrong, Sean. Uh,
0: I, I think you are exaggerating greatly the uh, <laughs> the level of skill I had, but um, it's very nice of you to say. I, you know, I tried to get better as I went along. I mean, you know, starting out, you know how it is. You you, you kind of have to prove yourself, and then guys like you come in the league, and I can't punch that that. Uh, far above my my league so you know just it was just kind of a, a gradual progression i think you know when i first started i was in new jersey and i was i was put in a little bit of a box of how they wanted me to play and um and that style at that time kind of fit what i was doing you know kenny danico was getting a little older and low line was getting a little older um, I certainly didn't think I was Scott Stevens, but you know they needed someone to maybe take a little pressure off that. And um, you know, I I just I think especially early in my career in New Jersey, I kind of accepted that and um, I was fine with it. You know, playing ten, twelve minutes a night, being the sixth, seventh guy, and um, you know, kind of contributing where I can. I mean, back in the day, you know, all you had to do was cross check good. You yeah. know, if you could if you could clear the crease out, then you were doing your job. Um, but as, as I started going along, I got maybe some more opportunity. I got different perspective. And, um, as you know, being, having to fight is the hardest job in hockey. There's just no question about it. It's just the hardest thing. Um, there's so much pressure on you and I I didn't like that. And I knew that there's guys like you and the boogeyman and uh, the list goes on, right? McGratton and the list just keeps going on. And um, I wasn't going to be in the league long if I was trying to keep up with those guys. So it was just kind of an evolution and, and luck, you know, getting put in the right opportunities and anybody could score goals on the power play with Andre Markov or Alexei Kovalev, you know, saucering you the puck across the, across the seam. So um, I just, I was a benefit of, you know, playing with really good players.
1: Well, it it's easy to say that, but there was probably fifty other guys who were put in that same spot who didn't amount to nothing. So you obviously had to have some kind of talent. But let's go back to Jersey. You mentioned they were trying to put you in a box. And I, I was in that same situation where I was coming in. I came out of college. I didn't fight. You know, I, I spent four years at Michigan Tech just working out how to make a pass and, you know, high and hard off the glass. So I I was thrust into this role as like, okay, you're gonna be Fighting the toughest guys in the world on a nightly basis like heads up because it's just your size so what box were they trying to make you put into because you 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 had a good final season in the dub you came in i think you had 54 points that year you split it between prince george and Kelowna, so you were successful but you also racked up 180 penalty minutes so this wasn't foreign to you so you're in albany trying to work your way to the devils what were they trying to mold you to be Kind of like, give us the conversations that were going on between you, your agent, and the coaches, because I, I always find this interesting where you're, you're a skilled guy and they're trying to make you do, was it, you say you didn't want to, but what's going on in your head there?
0: Well, I think, you know, the way that New Jersey was playing back in the day was a rough and tumble, simple a uh, very clean defensive game. Like, yeah. the, you know, we were happy to win games, one, nothing, two to one, you yeah. know, uh, get 15 shots against like we're, we're kind of that kind of team organization. And I knew why they, I knew that I had that skill set in junior, but as you know, junior and NHL is a, a lot different. Everyone's good in the NHL. Right. And so yeah. I think what, what they had, told me was you know there's some guys like Kenny Danico is is probably the guy they were grooming me to replace and Kenny wasn't playing the power play he was being a tough physical guy Um, he was being a good teammate then we had guys in the minor like Jason Smith uh Chris uh, Kale Hulse so mm. we had all these tough dudes who were you know really good defensemen and, um, I think once I got my opportunity, yeah. I think Kenny Danico got hurt or uh, maybe he went to uh treatment or something like that and I got an opportunity. So I slid in there, not thinking that I was going to be Scott Niedermeyer, you yeah. know, I, I, so I knew I wasn't going to be playing the power play or whatever. So I think it was just, you, you know, they just had all these interchangeable parts and the interchangeable part for me was a guy like Kenny Danico. So I just keep it simple. Uh, don't get any trouble and um, and be a good teammate was kind of the box. I feel like, you know, I maybe they didn't put me in it, but I definitely wasn't thinking that I was there to do anything different than, you know, than that. High
1: and hard off the glass.
0: That's it. That's Simple. all you
1: had to do to survive. And so you survived that first year this was before their Stanley cup success. So they were growing something there with the devils. Could you see the ingredients there with the Stevens, the Myers, those types of players, they were still young. Like you, did you feel this camaraderie? Like, here we go, fellas. Like,
0: cause you, you were up there the next two, three years. Yeah. Well, the, the year I got drafted, they had lost in the semifinal to the Rangers. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the year that, that I got drafted and then played in Albany and then put in, was a black ace in New Jersey, won the cup in Albany, the Calder cup. And then mm-hmm. New Jersey won the cup that year. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, Oh man, this is easy. This is, you know, this is how it's going to be forever. That wasn't that yeah. hard. And, um, and then we were the president's trophy winners. I think a couple of years we lost in the first round one year to Ottawa. And, um, and then the next year we lost maybe in the second round. And so they, you know, it, it was just a, they needed to change something. And to be honest with you, I kind of seen the writing on the wall. Um, at the time, the, the coach who was there and I weren't seeing eye to eye. Um, I probably wasn't as dedicated to the game as they would have liked me to be. You know, young guy living in New York. I was just I was just happy to be there. Um, and so I, I probably shortchanged myself and them a little bit. I have all the respect in the world for Lou Lamorel. Um, he told me how it was, he gave it to me, you know, straight. There was no black and white, and um, you know, at the time he was making the move to make the Devils, but and then they won the cup that year. I got traded right before the trade deadline, they won that that year in 2000. So, which is fun, yeah, that's that's great. Just watching them play, you know, being out of the playoffs and then watching them win the cup, that was uh, that was a fun summer. Um, but you know what, I will tell you, just just the level of class that organization has. So the next year they win the cup. I go to Montreal the next year around Christmas time. I get a Christmas card from the owner of the devils and he loved his dogs more than he loved anybody. He loved his dog. So there's a picture of him and his dog sitting in a Stanley cup. And I'm like, you <laughs> and I open it up and there's a full playoff share bonus. And he said, Hey, you were a big part of this and you know, just want you to know that we appreciated what you did and everything. And I, I, you know, I was floored. I mean, at the time I wasn't making a lot of money. Wow. And, um, I remember calling Lou Lamorello and saying, Hey man, this is like, I'm blown away. Thank you guys. And that was kind of honestly, a a, a jumping off point for me and being like, Hey man, like I, I can do this. Like has someone seen something in me to think this. And, and I just remember saying to myself, like, I, I have to be better. I just have to, I have to give more and be better.
1: No kidding. So that one little yeah. act of kindness by the owner or the president changed your mindset that
0: much. Crazy. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. I didn't get new. Look, and you know this as well as anybody. If you're looking for compliments and, hey, good job. Yeah, you're, in you're the not going to find it. That's that's not how it works. Right. Um, so I think. I had always been, You need to do this, you need to do that' and I'd always been told that, so I always felt like this pressure of like, man, I'm not doing good enough you know, and that's just that's the truth. I just wasn't unlocking my potential, I guess, but I felt like someone seen that in that moment, and um the talk I had with Lou about you know he traded me for my my benefit to go and 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 be better and you know flourish in a different system. It just gave me a, a a real shot of confidence and and a mindset of like wow this this is the big leagues like you have to hmm. you know a little less after the game um, you know fun and a little yeah. more dedication to the craft.
2: So before we move on from the Devils, I want to ask you. You come up with this team. You're 21, 22 years old, and there's two of the best defensemen ever to play the game on the blue line with you. Very different players, Stevens and Niedermeyer. What did you learn from each of them? Did they teach you stuff? Did you model your game after little things that they did? What was that like?
0: I mean, those are two great examples. Scotty Stevens was like an idol for me. Him and Chris Chelios were the two guys that I was like, wow. If I could, you know, play against them one game, my life would be set. And Scotty showed me, Scotty Stevens showed me what it was to come to work every day, every practice. And be a professional like every day was their practices were harder than our games sometimes, you know, and um, he was a no nonsense guy. And I just I love that he would stick out, you know, he was going out and fighting Lindros and when Lindros was a a menace. Um. So I really learned what it what it's like to be a professional from him and Scotty Niedermeyer. I just I just watched him in admiration. Like I felt like a fan when I watched him play. Um just complete class. And I think what I learned from him probably is not to take everything, not everything is so you know, those are two different guys, right? Scott Stevens is like a come to the rink, he's biting glass and spitting nails, and he's just ready to go. And Scotty Niedermeyer is like doesn't have a drop of sweat on him. He just played 27 minutes and mm-hmm. he's got his skate laces undone and intermissions, and so two very different guys, but both just such leaders and and The other thing those guys did, even that that whole team, that whole organization, which I still admire to this day, is they took care of the young guys. Like, we were all a team. There wasn't, like, Scott Stevens is, you know, up here, perennial all-star, and then Scott and and Marty Brodeur. Don't forget him, right? Um, So we had all these guys, and they just – it was just really a team. And I would never played on a team ever after that, that I felt that kind of – closeness and camaraderie
1: and you think just those three guys having the top end guys were the main cause of that the catalyst of just that environment
0: well those are three hall of famers we had right Gilmore who's a you know tremendous dude we had Randy McKay Bobby Hope the list just kind of went on you know our rookies were Scott Gomez um Mm -hmm. so we we always had high character guys and you know how it is when you're on a team like that one bad person can spoil it and and you're kind of out and uh well maybe I was that guy because I was out but uh (laughs) no we, we just had such a such a good group of guys and for a young guy like that was that was really a um internship in professionalism
1: I was just golfing with Randy McKay last week I think and he was talking about that fourth line it was like him Holik and somebody else and that's what whole was making like five, five million on the fourth line. And he was putting up 60 points.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He was, we had a, just a, who was it? It was Bobby, Randy, the crash line, we called them. And I can't remember who the last guy was, but man, they unstoppable. They were just so good. When that's your fourth line, when you have guys going out like that, that can play. Yeah. Um, it, it was, yeah, we were pretty good. Lucky, I'll ignore honest, that teams. little
1: insult at the end there that I can play. I'll let that slide shelter. But um, <laughs> so you leave the Devils. Lou does you a favor. He says, I'm going to trade you for your benefit. Always an interesting kind of thing to say from a GM, because I've had GM say that to me too. It's, I'm going to do you a favor here. I'm going to get better op- options here, opportunities. You go to Montreal. Everything's good. I was reading all the comments from the Montreal Canadiens fans. You're loved there. Beloved. They loved you in Montreal. You put up incredible numbers. I'm talking like all-star numbers. You're getting 26 goals, 12 goals, 15 goals. You're putting up insane pims. What clicked in Montreal? That did not, I'm not saying it didn't click in New Jersey. I know you say you're playing the candidical role. You're more conservative. You're new to the league, so maybe you weren't comfortable. You didn't want to make too many mistakes. Three years into Montreal, you're all of a sudden an all-star defenseman. What happened?
0: So my first year there was, you know, pretty, pretty forgettable. Nothing. We we didn't have a very good team and, you know, just, uh, kind of got through the season. My second full year there, I broke my wrist and, um, I couldn't get healthy. Like it just wouldn't heal. I broke the scaphoid bone, which apparently is the worst bone to, to heal in your wrist. And so, I was having like multiple surgeries on this and um, i just had my daughter, my oldest daughter. So now we're talking like 2003. And the, the doctor says, well, you might not, you might not play again. Like we don't know if you'll be able to play again or not. And I'm like, well, I'm making a million dollars. I'm spending a million too. I just had my kid. (laughs) I'm going to play. Right. And I was sitting in the press box one night in Montreal it was a couple scouts down for me and um, I was just sitting there watching the game. And I remember one guy said, I don't know who they were, but the one guy said the other, you know what Montreal really needs. They need a big, tough defenseman that can really shoot the puck on the power play. And I can't, and I'm like, well, I, I can do that. Those are two easy things, right? Those are things that would come natural. That's better than a, a guy who can quarterback the power player, better than a guy who can go out there and fight all the toughest guys. So, you know, that kind of really dawned on me. and And it was kind of, those two things kind of met where I for sure wasn't gonna give up on my career at that point. And um if I came back I wanted to have that opportunity. So I worked my butt off to to get back and um you know someone gets hurt, whether it's Breeze bar, someone got hurt on the power play and you know we had a bunch of injuries and I think they just kind of looked down the bench and like, dude you're up. And um and like I said, we had the, the talent we had on our power play was crazy. Um, so much so that like, I remember on on the power play, like our coach was like, Hey, if they shoot the puck down, we don't want you skating back to get it. We don't want you to handle it. Let Markov take it out. Swear to God. I'm like, yeah, no problem. So I just skated up the left wing all the time. And once we got in the zone, I just switched over with Marky. So they really dumbed down my, you know, what I had to do, my, uh, my responsibilities. And we just started having a little bit of luck you know, and, and then we got a little bit of chemistry and then all of a sudden we're like on a heater. And, um, the coach, Guy Boucher was, was taking me out before and after practices and shooting a ton of pucks. And, you know, he, he seen something in me that I probably didn't even see in myself. And again, once I felt that I was like, I don't want to let this guy down. I'm getting a, a pretty decent opportunity here. So things just started, started going well. And, um, you know, I really didn't forget that my main job was to be a physical guy who could clear the front of the net and, and be a good teammate. Um, and then it just started kind of snowballing in, in a positive way.
1: It's a, there's a few things there I got unpack because that's crazy. First of all, that you just overhear a scout saying thump something and then it just clicks. Hmm. But the big thing for me is I think people forget how mental hockey is hmm. and how confidence in yourself is almost non-existent in the game unless you're one of the top, top guys being a a third or fourth defenseman or a guy who's in another lineup to have the head coach spend the time and say, you're my guy, let's go, let's work on Mm it. Like I'm, how much did that just boost your confidence? Because it was always there Sheldon. like you had an incredible shot your whole career. It's not like all of a sudden you, you fire a couple more hundred pucks and it's like, Oh my goodness, look what I just developed. No, you've always had it well speak on the mental side because i think people just think we're robots and it's just like you go out there and you do it it's like what's it like to have the head coach pull you aside and say you're gonna be my guy i'm gonna have Alexei kovalev a future hall of famer feed you biscuits and you're gonna bombs away
0: yeah you're right you know it's um people really see the um athletes and the games they play as oh god that must be so it's you guys are so lucky you're so fun right you're living the dreams yeah they don't see the other stuff they don't see the hard work they don't see the anxiety you have being a third or fourth liner or a fifth or sixth defenseman not knowing if you're going to be on the team the next you have a bad game you could could be down the minors and you could be done you know and so there's a lot of like anxiety, there's a lot of mental toughness, a lot of belief in yourself, exactly like you said. And once you start getting an opportunity, you don't want to let it go, right? You need to be ready for that. And um, it just, it just happened that, you know, um, I was getting an opportunity, and I felt like someone believed me, I felt like when I got traded, someone believed in me. Um, So it's just kind of a, a little more of like, Hey, you know, I can do this. And and when I was in Montreal, by the way, I wasn't looking to step over Scott Stevens or Scott Niedermeyer. Like I was never going to be a first or second defenseman there. I just wasn't, right? Um, yep. but once I got to Montreal, it was like I have an opportunity here to to um change my game a little bit. And so that's just kind of what happened. And um it it's a lot more comforting knowing, you know, you're a top guy coming in, you don't have this. Anxiety and pressure just staying in the league, never mind um all the extra stuff that goes into it. I don't have to tell you, right? The bag yep. skating, the the extra video, the uh the extra weight room. It's it just is uh it's a lot. So when you get an opportunity and things I, I don't want to say become easier, but they come it's a different stress. Uh the stress is to produce, not not like, wow, am I gonna have a job tomorrow? So um it just kind of got easier. I really enjoyed that that kind of um, people really, obviously, they love a good fight. You know that better than anybody, but they also love like, you know, a slap shot in the top corner on the power play against Toronto Maple Leafs on Saturday night. And that was a better feeling than, you know, having a good fight for me. And so that's kind of where I wanted to, to get my game to.
1: Well, I'm playing in a city that they really acknowledge when you're playing the right way. I remember when I was with Montreal all of one game, which was a great game. I had a good shift. <laughs> we had a good shift as a fourth line. It was me and Paulie Byron, and um, I think it was De La Rosa. We grinded it out. We almost scored. We had a good shot on net. Going back to the bench, they standing ovation. Yeah. Like they they really appreciated good hockey. And it's it's kind of neat that they probably saw your progression from the first three years there. Where well, it was forgettable, like you 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 were playing probably solid hockey, but then to see you blossom into this. Like, incredible defenseman. Let's just call a spade a spade. You were one of the elite defensemen Thank in the you. NHL at that point. You, played, you know, 81 games, 64 points, still putting up hymns. By the way, let's talk about that. And then we'll move on to the, the debacle that is known as the Edmonton Oilers. You had 135 minutes in penalties. You had three fights. Fights, the last time I checked, are five minutes. So it's 120 penalty minutes of minors of tens where you just cussing out the refs where you you got your feelings hurt and you're like uh, uh, what what was how do you get 120 pims sheldon
0: i don't think there was a lot of 10 minute misconducts um twos There was a lot of cross-checking a lot of slashing you know uh even i experienced it with you you're gonna come and you know cross-check me and you want to go i'll cross-check you back i don't want to fight yeah. you but i'm i'm gonna stand my ground right and all right you guys are both gone for two okay you know come back to the bench and thank god i remember the one time that you were uh looking for action against us we were scared i was scared to death of you and um i remember mac t yells at me from the bench hey don't you better not and i'm like okay okay thank god coach you just saved my you know you just saved me um so it was a lot of like Penalties in there just being tough. I also think, like, the after the lockout in 2005, when the rules yeah. started changing, yeah. Um, my pim started going down because now you can't hook a guy on the arm. Like, you used to cross check a guy in front of the net and knock him flat on his butt, and your coach would say, Hey, great shift, right? So, a lot of those, uh, a lot of just playing rugged and tough. And, um, you know, with that, the the flip side of that too is if you're doing something to the team that's valuable which is you know getting points or playing the power play your leash gets a little bit longer with some of the other yeah. stuff that you can do right yeah. you if you're that sixth defenseman and and you're that fourth line winger you, you don't even want to touch anyone because you don't want to get a 2 minute penalty and then sit your butt on the bench for the rest of the game right so i had a little bit of that too i had a little flexibility in my game where they still wanted me to be you know, have a mean streak, um, but still wanted me to play all the power play. So it was just a little figuring that out uh, you know, for a season or two and what I could get away with, what I couldn't. And um, you know, slowly that declined and I could play play more. And the rules were changing. You know, yeah. the rules were changing.
1: What was it like spending 1.2 million and only making a million? How does that work? Because <laughs> I'm not an accountant.
0: What are you doing that in Montreal? was stressful? Well, that yeah. was stressful, you know? Forget the anxiety away from the – that was anxiety away from the range. Did you right just had there. a
1: nice place downtown and a nice car or what?
0: <laughs> Dude, I was just young and <laughs> – uh, uh it's probably an exaggeration. I was, you know, still making a little bit of money, but I just couldn't believe, you know, where I come from, no one had and no one is supposed to play in the NHL. Yeah. Um. So I was really just like – I was enjoying it all. I was enjoying the life of being a professional athlete and, you know, being in New York and going to Sports Illustrated parties or maximum parties or, you know, movie premieres or, you know, uh, doing commercials. I was in a soap opera one time. And uh, I remember driving home from this thing, the soap opera, and Lou had found out uh, <laughs> And so I see, I see my phone. I said, it's the middle of the summer. I said, I'm either getting traded or, you know, so I'm getting, here it is. I'm getting traded. And he said, what? And, and we're talking like, this is July, you know, <laughs> what the hell do you think you're doing? And you better focus on hockey. And, and he dressed me down and I was like, wow, this is July. I still got, you know, two and a half men still training camp. I thought, Hey, I thought you'd be happy. You have a soap opera star on your team. Never mind giving me trouble, but um, no, he didn't, he didn't see it that way. But, I had a lot of fun. I really enjoyed um, the life that comes with it. You know, I mean, we do get treated like pretty good.
1: Well, it doesn't hurt that you're like, you're, you're good looking. You know what I mean? I didn't get asked to be on a soap opera, a soap opera. And I played with the Rangers. So, you know, you're a very humble man. They're going to make a movie about you. Never mind. But they're not going to get me to play it. They're probably going to ask you, what's Sheldon Surrey doing?
0: Oh man. <laughs> I couldn't they, do they it. Will. It's, it's too, it's just too magical. Your story.
1: Is that why you're living in Idaho? You just wanted to step away. You just want needed to get away from that life.
0: You know, when I retired, I mean, I know you said, we'll we'll probably talk about the Edmonton thing, but when I retired, um, I was so done with hockey. I just, I, I, I was just done, but I had already, you know, I was living in Malibu in the beach um, with with Chris Chelios. We became good friends, and okay. you know, um, I had I met Wayne Gretzky through him, and I was playing on the Oilers at the time, so kind of developing a little rapport with Gretzky. And he said, "Hey, you got to go check out Idaho." This is like 2010, 2011. So I came up here, and there's a bunch of hockey guys here. So, you know, Ray Whitney, Brendan Morrow, Kelly Chase, uh, mm. Barrett Jackman, uh, Brett Hall. So we had uh, Doug Waite. So we had a really good contingency of um, hockey guys up at this particular uh, golf club. I hadn't, I didn't even know how to play golf at the time, but when I came up here, it it was a perfect disconnect for hockey. Not that California isn't, but it was, uh, I it reminded me of Alberta, just better weather, no bugs. Um, the people were really nice. It was a little different than the California vibe. And I just loved it. I've always felt like Idaho is home for me. Um, so I, this is like my favorite place of all the places I've ever been. Idaho's home.
1: Wow. Well, you mentioned Alberta. Let's just jump into the Edmonton Oilers. Mm -hmm. So you're a free agent coming off a fantastic season with the Habs set the power play goal record. How many teams are calling you every single one? They want Sheldon Surrey in a bad way.
0: We had. We definitely had some interest um leading up, I, I guess I'll set the table a little bit. So at the end of that season, I had to have shoulder surgery okay. and that was like my fourth or fifth one that I was was to have. So I wouldn't even have been ready for training camp the next year. Right. Um and so leading up to that, like free agency, not that there was a lot of teams that could call you before, but my agent said, hey, we've we done, talked to this team and that team, and you're probably going to have to go in and get a physical. Why well, wouldn't have passed the physical at that time because I just had shoulder surgery. Okay, and This is like NMA, mid to NMA. And uh, so there was a little trepidation there. And then free agency starts. Um, there was a couple teams that we were heavily invested in, well, they put out a couple offers to a couple guys and um, they were hoping to get one of those guys. And then they would fit me in with whatever was kind of left. Well, the Rangers ended up signing both these guys. And so the other team that I was talking to uh, was the Kings. And then they called me late the first day of free agency and said, Hey, we're not going to spend all the money on, on one guy. Cause they thought they were each going to get one guy. So I was figuring I was going to LA or New York. Well, the first day things change and then, and then all of a sudden it's like, wow, like everything I've been thinking about for this last month is completely, it's gone. Um, and so it took a little while to digest that now, as you're kind of taking, you know, I had, uh, I just had another baby, my second kid. And, um, so that was playing into it, you know, as a single dad, I was going through a divorce. Um, so I kind of wanted to be back on the West coast. A lot of things went into it. Yeah. And so it's taken a couple of days, right, to figure it out. And now all of a sudden we're like July eighth. And all these teams are wanting me to to fly in and do physicals. Well, I know I'm not gonna pass a physical. I we're open and on I mean, you can read it right on the friggin' report, right? Yep. And so um what happened was Edmonton had called me and they we talked and then you know, I, I really didn't want to go back to Canada because I knew my ex-wife didn't want to go back to Canada. Edmonton was kind of the only place because now I would have help on, from a personal side with my family being there. Mm-hmm. So I talked it over with my mom and dad and, uh, they were really excited, you know, see me wearing an oiler Jersey was, was really kind of important to them. And, um, so the more I thought about it at night, you know, there was another team we were talking to and. Edmonton just kind of came up a little bit in the money and um, it it just made sense. They didn't care about my shoulder. I didn't have to fly in anywhere. They didn't care. Kevin Lowe knew I wasn't going to be ready for training camp. It just was the easiest. um, And it It made made a lot of sense at the time. Yeah, exactly. It just made sense at the time. So um, when I signed there, I was actually pretty excited. You know, they just lost in the finals the year before. They just lost Chris Pronger. Um, they were looking, you know, to fill a couple holes. They weren't expecting me to be a crisp pronger, but you know, they'd just gone to the finals with almost the same team. Right. So they, if they could just fill a couple of those roles with guys who could sort of mimic that, then, yeah. um, they thought they would be, they would be okay. And so, um, you know, we signed Dustin Penner to an offer sheet that year. And so things were kind of looking up. So I was kind of getting, the longer it went on, I was kind of getting excited about things. Uh, about being back home
1: yeah we had pronger on the show last year i think and we talked about his time at edmonton and he, he really um didn't enjoy it um <laughs> he had nothing but kind of he was he was very polite about it but he's like yeah it was terrible i was ready to move on from edmonton his family didn't enjoy it he was ready to get out of dodge i every time i was a free agent i'm from edmonton i was born there and so hey, really yeah yeah wow so my, my mom was that. born in northern saskatchewan she didn't have two pennies to rub together we we lived in the trailer park we were dirt poor so i and edmonton always offered me a deal when i was a free agent but i'm like no i'm not way. gonna yeah, always, yeah. Always, always 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 i could have played wow. with them. <laughs> but something was always just saying like don't go to edmonton it just didn't seem right they were they were selling me the world yeah. and i'm just gonna under deliver yeah. you get 25 years 27 schmill you're happy. You're you're financially secure for the rest of your life, most likely. What happened? You don't
0: go into detail. I don't care. What what happens over the next three years? So I will say this is that Edmonton wasn't my highest money. Wow, contract offer. Yeah, who, so who they offered they, you more? Well, there was two teams. <clears throat> um, one team on the on the East Coast that I just didn't want to go. They had a lot of Russian players, and I just didn't think that would be uh a good fit for me and i like your jib because i don't like russians either and there was a huh i just at the time um i just didn't see like you know i and plus coming from a team like montreal where we had just a bunch of great dudes like we weren't yeah. the best team in the world but we had you know koivu and craig revay we, we just had a lot of really good guys yeah. and so i just didn't see my fit over there and now again we're on the east coast so I, I probably wouldn't see my kids as much. Max's wife isn't gonna want to travel all the East Coast. So, mm-hmm. and then there was another team in the West Coast that I just I just wouldn't I just didn't want to play for. Tim, he's no
1: very p- he still won't name the teams. Tim, just, my head's screaming bad, like tell us teams,
0: Sheldon. <laughs> tell us who they are. No, I don't. I don't need to. I don't need to bury that now. But but I will but I will say that wasn't a, that wasn't it, it didn't really become about a money thing. Once some of these other things were, were sounding more appealing, right? The physical, not having to go do that. Um, They really, Kevin Lowe, really, um, we had some really good conversations. So just like you said, I felt really, I felt like Superman when we're going to do a press conference, we're going to announce you the whole kit and caboodle, right? And so, I come home and again, I'm just like you, I didn't have, uh, I didn't have much. So we're going to have a press conference to announce you. My dad was like, Oh my God. It's like, you know, Wayne Gretzky part two. And, uh, so the, so that was good. We were, I was excited the first day of training camp, the very first day, um, when you just do the physicals, you don't even step on the ice. Right. Yeah. So I go to the rink early. I got an early physical um, with some other veteran guys, uh, Steve Steos and Ethan Morrow and um you know Dwayne Rollison and Sean Workup. There's six or seven of us in there having a coffee in the morning, waiting, you know, to go to your physical. And um sitting in the training room and just kind of getting to know these guys. And Craig McCavish walks in, and I love MAC T. I love Mac T. He walks in. And uh, he looks around and he throws some papers on Kenny Lowe's desk. I remember our trainer. And he says, huh, just the guy I wanted to see. And I, or just the guy I was talking about, he said. And I said, oh yeah. I said, all good things. Right. And he said, no. He said, no. He was. are you effing kidding me? You're not going to be ready for training camp. Oh my God. You're just going to sit back on your big contract. He kind of gave me that in front of all these guys. Wow. And so I was hot for about a week. Like he just challenged me in front of these new guys. Right. And I'm like, I can't, like, I can't, I said to Kenny Lowe, I go, did he not, did he not know the friggin' situation? He goes, no, I, I thought, I thought I told him. Like, okay. And so as the story goes, I wanted to come back and play earlier. I'm not supposed to play till November, right. At the earliest, late November. And so now I'm skating, now I'm shooting pucks, and now I'm doing everything that I shouldn't be doing. Yeah. And um, I came back that first year, and I came back early. I played six games, I get in a fight, and, and blow my shoulder out again, you know? And so I missed a lot of that first season. So that was kind of my welcome to Edmonton bit. And I don't think it was Matt, like I said, Mac T, I love Mac T. I think he's a high-character high guy. I think it just probably got put on his lap that I wouldn't be ready. And uh, he didn't know. Right. And, and so that kind of goes with the communication, I think of the whole, it kind of explains the organization a little bit at that but time. Just
1: just contrast that to Montreal having Guy Boucher saying, we believe in you take your time. Let's work on your shots. Let's work on you. You'll be a better player. You come here, you're their guy, <laughs> you know, you're, yeah. you're the five and a half million dollar guy and you have the GM screaming at you before the physical.
0: Yeah. Well, he was our coach, but but that's uh, right. Max, Your coach. coach. Oh, even worse. He was the coach, so he came in and he did that. And like I said, I, it got my um hair on my back to stand up pretty quick, and it, it stayed that way for a while. And so as I'm hurt, you know, that first year, um we're playing in that old Northlands call us Rexall. I guess you played there. It's um, a dump. Yeah. It was a dump. It was the worst place yeah. in the league. I had conversations with Kevin about um the standard in montreal as you know you've played there the standard mm-hmm. is as good as anywhere in the nhl maybe the best um so as i told you i had these two small kids well we didn't have a wives lounge and so i was making these suggestions like hey you know why don't you take an, uh, a a thing where because you know how you have to walk through all the people who are drunk to get out to the rink yeah like you have to you have to walk yeah. through these people who are yelling at you sorry hey, you bomb and whatever yeah. right and my kids got to sit in that with my with my ex-wife who's already hating life uh not the easiest <laughs> you know person to get along with at that, that time hmm. and so i said i, I made these suggestions and uh, finally, I was told to shut up, you know, and quit being a silver spooner. And I was making enough money, and yada yada yada. You are a silver pars- spooner. Yeah. I, I was, yeah. I got put in my place, and you know, you know how you have to um, walk out after the game to that little ramp, up and it was ramp, all the yep. it's all the Oilers cars. So it's minus yep. fifty out, and you're you got I got to take two small kids and and get in this uh, Ferrari car that might start. My, no, it was a Ford truck with a bunch of windshield chips because there's nothing else that's going to friggin' work up there. And so my truck might start after the game. And so I suggested, hey, why don't we hire a couple kids, start our cars when the game's over, and they can just pull in by the bus or at least get our cars warm. Yeah. Well, how are we going to do How are we going to organize that? I go, I'll tell you what, my two cousins, if you give them a ticket to the game, they'll do it for all of us. Like, it won't cost us a thing. No, just stick to, just stick to what you know. Okay. So that's kind of what I was going through That you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. kind of the experiences I was having one after another, one after another. And, um, and then the next year I got healthy and, you know, we, we did our thing. And, and, um, so that's, that was three years next year I had a fine year. Um, the end of that third year, um, or well, the beginning of it, I think it might've been the opening game or a couple of games and we're playing Calgary. I'm going back for a icing. Uh, me and Jerome McGinley are skating back who I love Jerome too. Classy, classy dude. He goes to poke for the puck. He catches my skate. I go on the end boards. I get a concussion. I miss like a couple months. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know about you because I think you're a smart enough guy and, and you are a very, um, you don't have to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. I've never had a coach telling me to go fight somebody i I just have never had that like hey you know you guys, if you and and weller and boogie get out there and they put me out there uh, they're not telling me to fight i know what the situation is right i mean right we're not stupid and so i came back that year in january or february january i think and we're playing calgary we're losing five one after the you know second period and i'm going out walking out the tunnel and i'm the last guy to go out and uh Tom Rennie kind of pulls me by the jersey and goes, hey, if you want to get even, now's the time. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I went out. Uh, I said, Jerome, we got to do this. He goes, oh, okay. I, I don't even know why we're fighting, but okay. And I ended up breaking my hand. And so all this stuff is going on still with Edmonton, right? All these things of like being a silver spooner and da, 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 da. And um, so we, I, I, I'm living in LA. I have a place in LA. Olympic break is coming up, mm-hmm. so I say, "Hey, I want to go back to LA and have someone who's done this surgery a million times that Curlin Job or wherever to do this surgery." They say, "No, no, you're doing it in Edmonton." And at that time, the CBA hadn't changed, where you know we had a right to a second opinion. It yeah. was like the team had the whatever the team says is what you do. You're under contract, mm-hmm. okay. So I get these pins put in my hand. Um, I get to go home back to LA in 10 days. The Oilers are playing the Kings. And then we have two weeks for Olympic break. I see this doctor for LA. Uh, and he says they didn't put, you know, a certain kind of cap on those pins. So like the pin isn't, they were getting stuck in my skin. No so like kidding? I didn't put that. Yeah. So he's was like, oh, that's, that's kind of weird. And so we'll do that. We're going to put these caps on like Something seems pretty simple, right? I'm like, basic, know, yeah, know, whatever, basic. So Olympic break goes on. I'm coming back to, um, I got to go back to Edmonton. The team's in Nashville. We're going on a road trip. So they leave a couple of days early. I got to go back because I'm getting close to being cleared by the doctor. So I got to meet a doctor in Edmonton. So I get to the airport. Now the day before I'm flying back to Edmonton, I'm in the shower. And I look down on my hand and these pins are sticking out two inches from my for my skin like they're sticking out of my thing so i'm like well that's weird so i just push it back in like a hot knife through butter it doesn't (laughs) hurt i don't even feel it it's like i didn't even think anything of it so a couple times during the day these pins are coming out and i'm pushing them back in i call the doctor hey i got these pins coming are you're coming in tomorrow you know i'll see you tomorrow okay good so the next day i go to the airport and um I check in, I, I just have a, uh, over the shoulder bag and I check in and I go to sit down in in the airport lounge and I can't put my elbow on the, my elbow kind of hits the armrest and I look and my elbow is kind of swollen like a golf ball. And I go, I don't remember doing anything, but whatever. Right. On that flight. Now I'm, I'm getting sick. Like I'm starting to get sick. By the time I got off that flight, I couldn't lift my arm. That's a, about a three hour flight. The trainer meets me at the airport. He has to take my my bag off the uh off the conveyor belt because I couldn't lift it. And I'm sit, I'm like starting to get like delirious. I'm sweating. He's like, You okay? I go, I don't know, you know, it must have been something I ate, whatever. At my arms like this. He goes, okay. So I go home. I'm gonna get a a massage that night. So I'm I'm get. I sit huh. down in the table. This the girl comes over to give me a massage. Probably three, four, five minutes in, I get up, I go, ah. I can't, i sweating. I can't stop sweating. I'm sick. That night, I take a blanket and I put it over this, this heater and I'm I'm shivering. And I called the trainer and I said, hey, dude. No, I, I didn't call the trainer. I called the doctor. I said, hey, I'm really sick. He said, well, can you drive yourself to the hospital? I said, yeah, I think so. So I called my dad, right? And my dad, he lives 45 minutes out of town. He comes and gets me. I go to this uh, this clinic. The doctor meets me there. Well, I got a staff. I got a really bad staff infection. He's a, so I got an ambulance. The ambulance now takes me to the U of A hospital. Now I'm in the ICU for four days. Holy moly! I got a, a bone and a blood infection, and they're talking about amputating my hand. They have to recut my hand open. They cut my, from my middle finger down to, to to about here at the end of my palm on both sides, they got to splint it, but well now I can't move it, but they splint it back open and it's just oozing pus. And I'm I'm on all sorts of antibiotics that they give cancer patients. Like, dude, it was bad. And, but the team's on the road, right? The team's on the road now. And so I hadn't had a chance to even call the trainer and really explain what was up and, and all that kind of stuff. So it, it, I don't completely blame it on them, but uh, my buddy comes in one day and uh, he was our strength coach, and he said, uh, "How are you doing?" Well, I'm, I'm in the ICU now, right? i haven't hooked up to all this stuff. They had to put a pick line in through my bicep and go on my heart, and they just dropped antibiotics on my heart, so I didn't die. I said, "Are they going to?" To the nurse one day, I said, "What are they going to do? Cut my hand off?" And she goes, "Oh, honey, we're not even worried about that. We're we're worried about this getting to your heart." And at that moment, I put my head back on the pillow and I was like, damn, like this is, this is serious. So this, the strength coach comes in and he says, how are you doing? I said, you know, I've been better. And um, he said, you know, um, the, I said, have you told the, the coaches or the management? He said, yeah, but they think that you're milking an injury because you don't want to play for the Oilers again. I said, okay. So, so I, picked up the, I picked up the phone. Now, you got you to gotta understand, I'm, I'm on all this painkillers. I'm on these antibiotics. I'm sitting in the hospital. And um, I left Kevin Lowe and, and Daryl Cates a, a, a message, a voicemail. And I wasn't happy. And um, so I'm in there for 11 days. I get out. Now I'm carrying a fanny pack of um, this pump of antibiotics for 14 weeks. OK, Just showering with my hand up like this because I can't get it wet. OK, that's that's almost three months. It's three and a half months. And so. My year end interview, uh, you know. I, I, I tried to fight Steve Tambellini, who was our GM at the time. I'm like, you, you know, you, you we had a we had a, a tough one. And so my year end interview, I kind of said, hey, you know, I think it's probably best for me to move on, but you know, we'll, we'll talk about that this summer. Okay. Headline the next day, Sarray demands trade, whatever. I go back to LA to get out of it. Uh, you know, Crazy. Now it's like, it's out of sight, out of mind. I don't care about these guys. They don't care about me. So I have a great summer of training. Um, I'm feeling good. I'm like, I'm going to go to training camp and I'm going to, I'm going to kick some ass and, and you know, get some value back for me so they can trade me obviously there's no going back after that we weren't gonna you know shake hands and sing kumbaya and, and yeah. gonna that was <clears throat> we we, we kind of were crystal clear so i go back to edmonton you know how you skate with the team a couple days before yeah. training camp and you kind of yeah. get back to it so i, I go and i skate and flying out there you know a couple goals i'm feeling i'm i'm like i have i'm ready to go now what are the guys saying on your team because
1: obviously our our like is Tambellini and Low talking to them and be like, sure he's ditching us. He he wants to leave. Sheldon's just uh, he's checked out. What what are the guys saying in the room?
0: No, the guys knew what, what happened. And, okay, you know the the guys knew what was happening. They all came to me and said after I you know did that interview at the end of it. Hey, you know um, at the end of the season, you know whatever I said, you know me and management were just. Yep. I don't see it working out. Whatever. The guys were all, oh, man, that's, you know, that's great. Thanks for sticking up, you know, and the training staff and yada, 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 yada. No problem, boys. And then this is a swear to God, this is a true story. So Pat Quinn calls me in his office and we have a conversation. He's like, hey, man, I completely get it. Um, If you want to go somewhere else, you got some family stuff and whatever. He goes, I think you guys have the right to, to, uh, to make those things. I appreciate you, you know, you playing hard for us and whatever. Yeah, Pat, thanks. He goes, and good luck with everything. Well, now I'm sitting in the training office to get my exit physical. And I'm looking up at the TV and he's given a press conference saying, if we don't want guys here that don't want to be here, they can get out of town. I'm like, wait a minute, dude, I was just in your office 10 minutes ago. And that's not the conversation we had. So now I'm like, whatever, whatever. So the guys were fine. And when I came back, the guys, you know, like I said, I was, I was ready to go. I was in great shape. The guys were like, you know, I can't believe we're, you know, let's get a good start. Just the normal shit. Yeah. So my agent calls me that night and he says, uh, Hey, we got some news for you. And I said, yeah, what's that? He said, you're not invited to training camp. I said, what? He's like, yes, Steve, uh, Tambolini called and said, you're not invited to training camp. I said, okay. I said, well, I'll call Kevin. So I call Kevin Lowe. They're at like the rookie camp in Penticton. They're flying back that night. He says, I'll be at your house at 6 a.m. tomorrow for a coffee. I said, perfect. So he comes in and he says, hey, look, you know, you're going to have to go publicly apologize. You're going to have to ask. <laughs> you're you're going to have to talk to Daryl Cates, you know, and and um, tell him what you said wasn't true and this and that. And I said, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I said, well, I don't think you'd be on the team then. I said, that's, that's up to you guys. I'm ready to go to work and I'm ready to do, you know, do what I have to do. Um, But that's totally up to you guys. You got, you guys owe me for two more years of, of service, right? You guys owe me 12 million bucks. So whatever you guys decide, that's, that's up to you. And so the next day I'm going to fly back to LA. We're work. I'm working out with the team in the morning at this, at this gym. And Daryl Cates is there. So I go up to Daryl and I said, Hey dude, is this, is this what we're doing? Like. And he said, well, I'll talk it over with the guys. And then they never got back. to So I fly back to LA that night. The rest is history. Well, now we're not even going to send you to the minors because you're you know, a bad influence on the kids. We're going to send you to another organization in the minors. And it just it got that petty. You know what I mean? And I'm like, all right, I just came off a great season. And if that's the way it is, I'm going to go down there and be a good soldier. I'm going to still make a lot of money. And this isn't the end of the road for me. You know? <laughs> And so that's what happened. You know, three games in, um, you know, you go to the minors. I was a big, big league guy, and guys are challenging me. It's a target, yeah. And so finally I get in a fight to break my hand on this kid's head again, and um, I ended up calling, because now Kevin Lowe and uh, Steve Tambolini aren't even responding to my calls. So I called the assistant GM, and I'm like – he calls me, actually, and he says, hey, man, I'm I'm really sorry to hear about the injury. I go, you – what did you think was going to happen? Like, what did you honestly think was going to happen? So did that. Then I get, you know, a guy takes out my knees and I sprained my knee that year and it just was one debacle after the other. It was the most challenging year, probably of my life um, professionally for sure. And um, you know, there was, there was, um, so I assume I'm going to get bought out that year, that Mm -hmm. summer. Right. And so The buyout period comes and goes, and I don't get bought out. I go, oh, my God, is this going to happen for another year? Like, I just didn't see it going on that long. And what happened was they ended up having another buyout window. There was some language in there that did it. So they ended up buying me out that last year, and uh, it was just good riddance. I'd never talked to anybody uh, again. Um, from that organization, and July first, you know, Joe Newendike from the Stars said, "Hey, you still got some left in you." I said, "Dude, I'm ready to go," and you know, the rest is kind of history.
2: <laughs>
0: it's a it's crazy, right? And at the time, hmm. like, I, you, I I didn't need everybody to know the the details like this because nobody cares, right? At that time, yeah. nobody cared. I was the spoiled brat making a bunch of money, and I didn't want to play in Edmonton. And that wasn't true. I like I like I said. I was the opportunity that was presented in Edmonton sounded like that could be a really um, cool thing for me from being from there. And so the narrative was what it was. Um, I was by that time I was over it, and um, you know was looking forward to a fresh start.
1: You need a movie <laughs> on your life. That's insane. That's absolutely insane that someone like you're not just as Joe Schmo, you're not like making a mill that day, do you think it, uh, man, that's wild. I
0: learned, I learned a lot about business that day. You right? know, I learned a lot about the, uh, the machine that day. And it really changed my perspective. Now, not everyone operates like that. I understand that. Right. But there are people who do, and there are teams that do, and I didn't even have a chance to play my butt off and get, put on waivers and and get called back up because I was hurt all year in the minors. And I had no conversations with the team. There was no like checking in, Hey, you know, we got something cooking with the Rangers or Washington, nothing. It was just a year of, you know, and so I had a lot of time to sit and think in a hotel room in Hershey, Pennsylvania um, about what was, what was happening. And and the only thing I could, could control is how I reacted to it. And, it was not easy. I, I just wanted to, I didn't want to give them, give anyone anything more to say that I was a bad character. Right. Guy. I just didn't. So you got to go down there and, um, you know, be a professional and, and do your job. And that's kind of what I tried to do. And it ended up being a, a pretty fun year. Um, wasn't ideal, but you kind of make the best still playing hockey. Yeah. Uh, still mm-hmm. making a lot of money in the minors and, um, you know, I didn't have to dress up for games. I was wearing a track suit every day. So, you know, there were some benefits. No escrow. No escrow. Yeah. Which was great. I The yeah. same
1: thing. I got sent down to Newfoundland when they were trying to annex me to not go to the All-Star game. Not quite the same, but similar, where they're like, yeah, yeah. Hey, HL, we don't want you. I, I, as you are yeah. saying all this stuff, these stories about Edmonton and how it's just this a little dysfunctional, and prongs to the same thing, it got me just it, – it just solidifies that – It's a trickle-down effect. You could have the best team in the world. You could have the highest payroll, multiple first overall picks, and you're still going to suck because you have a dysfunctional president. Your GM doesn't know what he's doing. The whole staff is just – it just doesn't work. Whereas you go to New Jersey and you have something that works. The president, the GM, the captains, everybody, it's just completely different. And it's just obvious. Like Edmonton, you didn't have bad teams. You didn't have bad players. It was just dysfunctional. The little things weren't
0: the worst. You know, there's another thing that happened. I actually, I'm just thinking about when you said this is, uh, Edmonton had an alumni night. And so they invited all the players who played for the team at one point, one game or a thousand games, you know, everybody mm-hmm. from Gretzky all the way down. And, um, I get a text from, it was either Ethan Morrow or Steve Stales. And they said, Hey, you come into the alumni game, uh, alumni night in Edmonton for the home opener. Yeah. I said, What's that? And they're like, dude everyone got invited check your email so i text the pr guy and i say hey is this is this happening he said yeah and i said oh i i didn't get anything he goes yeah and i go oh okay like okay dude every alumni pronger you know everybody and uh it was just kind of the pettiness that it went to I will say this before you move on from this is that the Oilers played the Vegas Knights I live in Vegas in the winters now right and um I hosted um a couple guys for golf Kenny Holland and Keith Gretzky and their assistant GM and and Stevie Mm -hmm. Stales who's working close to Ken Holland and they just ooze professionalism Kenny Holland is you know right up there with Lou Lamarillo I think in the way that Uh, the way he does things and the respect he has league-wide and it really restored a lot of faith back in the Oilers and the way he talked to me and and um you know he wasn't there for any of it but at least I had a better feeling that the Oilers are um are in good hands they're in good hands they got an owner who's an idiot but they have a they have good people in place and um you know, I think their window, they have the two best players in the world, so their window is now. But yeah. you still, there's a, there's a level, and I know you've dealt with it for many years, is it, it, there's just an obvious level of professionalism from the guys who are really respected to the guys that you just are forgotten.
1: Yep, and you avoid. I, I Yeah, I, I said it for years, and one of the reasons I didn't sign there was that it was just – since the old boys club, you're like, well, these guys won multiple Stanley Cups. They must be good at, you know, hockey yeah. and management and stuff. It's like, no, you're not. That doesn't translate yeah. with everybody. So yeah, crazy, crazy
0: Sheldon. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, it was uh it was an interesting time. You know, I, I've, I've experienced the highs and the lows of it. Also, that was probably one of the the biggest things for me during that experience is it really deflated my ego. It hurt at the beginning thinking that I would fake, you know, uh, not wanting yeah. to play to get traded, but um it was really it it was a real um, blow to my ego like how could they do this to me, which again is what I just said. it really gave me a perspective on the business side of things i'm not that important if they're going to do this to me and make an example of me and not care about you know tens of millions of dollars, you know what are they going to do to the next guy and so um yeah it was it was really humbling and um you know, but as low as that was, you know, the second free agency opened, you know, I was having a conversation with Joe Newendike. So again, someone believes in you. And I said, mm-hmm. yeah, I still, he goes, you still want to play? And I said, let's go. Hell yeah! And, um, and that was it. And so he, so I got that opportunity. And for that, I'm thankful because I would have hated to go out the other way. You know,
1: it's funny uh, before this interview, the last kind of, Interaction I had with you was when you played for Edmonton. You beat up Craig Weller, and you used a weapon on your hand. We don't want. We don't have to get into it. Um, you were just absolutely. It was really, really egregious. But um, I, I, I was like trying to. I wanted to rip your head off, and our yeah. whole team did. Yeah. You yeah. You had your hand injury. You came back and you had the plastic sheathing on your left hand, and you just dropped bomb after bomb on Wellesley's face with this basically. It was like, have you seen <laughs> Thanos? It was a Thanos metallic hand that he was using. To, oh boy. To, but he it's all it's all fine. I like a homer. What I'm, a I'm homer. happy to uh to kind of put those thoughts aside. You're actually a pretty nice guy <laughs> because I was like this this is a, a cheater and he's trying to injure people, but it's nice, it's nice. a yeah. Silver Spooner.
0: I'm a silver spooner. I'm a bad Cheater. teammate. I don't Terrible know if you teammate. remember. Weller didn't play that much that, that game. And no. in the third period, I had a giveaway. You guys ended up scoring. Now it's 3-1. Yeah. And so he came out and, and he said, you're ready to go. And I go, I didn't know you were playing. And he gives me the, the stick in the groin. Yeah. And I go, and then they it was a false drop, the puck. So we kind of squared off. Yeah. And then we... And then Ethan tried to jump in, and that like, which was you know, funny. And you're like, "It was kind of." I'm like, "No, I got, I got the. You got Scott. I got this guy here."
1: Oh, you gave me to Ethan Moore. <laughs> I would have beat that guy's doors off. But that's funny. Did you ever get suspended for that or anything come of that or no? Because I know you had to tell your case to whoever was the
0: yeah your safety people. The, the NHL. Well, I I played in the All Star game not long after that, and I had a meeting with um uh batman daily and uh what's the guy campbell uh he Colin. was in charge of the Colin, Colin campbell. campbell piece of garbage and, anyways yeah so they asked me about it i showed him it was a, a wrist guard that i had that went through my hand and it kind of came around my wrist like i was saying i had that scaphoid injury so i had to mm-hmm. play with it yeah um and then they seen it and i'm like you know it has nothing to do with punching a guy you know and but they but they did say and it was one of the things that actually happened when I fought a Ginla. They did say, if you're going to get in a fight, take it off. And so I never got suspended for it. Um, they just said, you know, if if you're going to participate, um, take it off. So there's no. so.
1: It doesn't do anything but take it off. That makes sense. Because it was a weapon, <laughs> shelter, the <you> animal.
0: <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, I would have need, I should have put him on both hands if that was the, you know, if that was. I should have just
1: fought you. You should have fought me or Boogie.
0: Yeah, good one.
1: That would have been, you know, the mailing thing to do. All right, Tim. Tim likes to do a little rapid fire. We can wrap this up. We've been keeping you a long time. I know you probably had wrestle a bear in Idaho or something, right, Tim?
2: <laughs> yeah, so just uh, five or six rapid fire questions here. Um, is there anyone in the league today that reminds you of a young Shelton Sorey? Hmm.
0: Hmm. Hmm. The league that reminds me of a young Sheldon Surrey, I don't watch a ton of hockey, but I like this kid from us Los... um hmm. he plays a little bit of a rough and tumble game and and he can shoot it. I think he's a good teammate. I like watching him he kind of catches my eye when I watch him play um i I think he's a much better player than I was, but there's not a lot of guys who that that I know of who really play kind of the you know, there's no Scott Stevens really in the league anymore. I don't, if there is, maybe you guys could name a them, guy I,
1: who's I, similar but doesn't have your offensive
0: upside is Jacob Truba,
1: who goes out there. He's oh, yeah. the me, like he hits, but he doesn't have your offensive upside. So I would see a yeah. guy who potentially could be, but he, he had fallen like a Rasmus wrist alignment potentially, but he's not as good as you were. Yeah, you,
0: you were a rare breed. I think he was a little more, you know, it was also for me. And I like that you said prongs, like man, there was a lot of guys who were doing that job. Shea Weber, Zidane yep. Ottara, Chris Pronger. Um, there was a lot of guys that, you know, I would have had to play better than to to, you know, get in the Norris trophy race or something like that. So there was a lot of guys to kind of model my game after at, at that time. Um, who I kept my eye on in the stats. And they're like, Well, you know, Weber got two assists last night and I gotta, you know, have a good game tonight. So when I played,
2: there was guys that I
0: that I followed and wanted to be like.
2: What was your favorite subject in school? Recess. <laughs> Just a meathead. <laughs> Just an
1: idiot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I like to I like to lean on my locker with my leg up. and Hey ladies. Hey, ladies. hey babe. <laughs> <laughs> hey, spray Morning on some more. obsession
2: cologne. Hey, obsession cologne. <laughs> <laughs> Who is your favorite D partner of your career? Um... I
0: would say Scott Stevens when I played with him, like on a penalty kill or something. But my, my D partner that I played the most with was Craig Reve. Um, I love that guy. He, we were similar players. Um, I I just love him. I still talk to him. I have all the respect in the world for that guy. He, he had to do some heavy lifting when I was out trying to get a bunch of points. I wasn't, uh, I, I lacked a little bit in my defensive game some nights. And so he had to pick up the slack a lot of nights. And he still reminds me of it.
1: Which people that did Eric Carlson winning the Norris this year? What are your thoughts on that? The guy didn't step foot in the Z, D zone.
0: That's a lot of points, though. I mean, I don't know what the criteria is nowadays, right? Points? But it. It's like when you see that many points from a defenseman, that's like insane. You know, what about Edmonton. Minus. What was your biggest minus here? I was minus 28 uh, the year that I had 64 points. Isn't that so funny how that works? Had a bunch of power play points. Yeah. And, you know, when we were just a lot of empty net goals, like I will say, it's not that I got put on highlights a couple of times. But I think there was so much attention on, like, my offensive side of the game at that time. So some of my defensive things, critics, you know, someone from Toronto or whatever would would be like, this guy sucks defensively. Oh,
1: I would have called you to the carpet. I would have said you were so bad.
0: I was so... I was... I was like, whatever. How many goals do you have?
1: <laughs> Chicks dig goals, man. They don't care yeah, about I plus did. minus.
0: <laughs> I got twenty six goals. Relax.
2: Who was the, the forward that you played against that was hardest to shut down or contain? Everyone. All <laughs> oh, right, follow that up with a
0: minus question, huh? Um Dude, uh, honestly, the best player I have ever played against, skill wise. Is Alexei Kovalev, skill wise. And by the way, people forget that this guy was 6'3, 230, Alexi mm-hmm. Kovalev. And he could man, he used to sit on his knees. We know when he'd stretch after practice, and everyone's kind of sitting around the circle. And he used to he used to grab three or four pucks and used to saucer them and land them on the top of the net. <laughs> You know, on his um, on his knees, dude, it was, I w- you know, I would say that he made me a better player just in, just in practice. I would say that he was, you know, the problem is some nights you just didn't know what you were going to get. And maybe that could be said about all of us, but, um, he's definitely the most talented guy I ever, I ever played with or against for sure.
1: I was thinking about that when you were talking about Niedermeyer and Stevens and stuff. People see what they do during the games, but I, I got the possibility, the option to play with Keith a couple games and Brian Campbell and stuff. And these guys, they're good on you know on game day, but in practice, that's yeah. where you really see how good these guys are. Like every yeah. pass is on the tape, everything is crisp. They don't mess up. It's crazy. So yeah, I can't uh, imagine playing with Kovalev.
0: That was incredible. Tempo. I will say that it was uh, my last exhibition game. My first year we're playing in the, the Rangers in the garden. It's uh Gretzky and Messier are on the team and it's a preseason game. And so um, they come down and whatever, two on one and Gretzky passes the Messier in the net. And so I'm sitting in MSG and I'm looking at the, the thing up, up top the, you know, the, the, the screen and um, it's like Gretzky to Messier and I see my number on there and I get, Walked and they score a goal and I get the tap on the shoulder. I look back and it's it's Larry Robinson, our D coach, and he said, Hey, hey, the game's right out there. I'm like, Oh sorry, buddy. Um, but I was like that that was such a great moment for me, right? Gretzky to Messier or Messier to Gretzky in the net. I was like, wow, this is who would have thought who and Larry thought? Robinson, one of the
1: best coaches ever. That guy's ever. I had him in yeah. San Jose. He was such a nice guy.
0: He's the best, especially the guys like us. Yeah. He was awesome. Awesome. All right, Tim. Sorry,
1: I'm hijacking your rapid-fire
2: questions here. Go ahead. Two more questions. Two more questions. We've joked about this already, but if there was a movie made about your life, what actor would play you? Oh,
0: what actor would play me? Well, I would probably like Jason Momoa to play me.
2: I like it. You got
0: the hair now. a little bit of a stretch. Okay, what are you going to say? Scott? Yeah. Okay, well.
1: Well, someone thinks he's for someone you. who's so humble, for someone who's so humble to say that, I'm like, easy. Bump <laughs> the brakes here. Like, you know what I mean? Who's that guy, Tim, in the heist?
0: He's Jonah the Hill. I want Jonah Hill to play, play me.
1: No, though, there's a guy who looks like you. He He's in the heist where him and Denzel Washington, I can't think of his name, but for me, they, uh, you know who wanted to do it was Wolverine, Hugh Jackman, but we couldn't make the schedules work out.
0: Oh, really? So, yeah. Wow! So I don't. Oh yeah, you get. Yeah, yeah, you guys look a lot like each other.
2: Same height. You're a you're real like great eight. guy.
1: This will <laughs> be the last time. <laughs> you <hear laughs> last I would,
0: I, Hugh Jackman. I would have Barry Jackman play you. Gosh, it,
1: it, what, this is my show. You know what I mean? This is not <laughs> this how it's supposed to this go. This is fun. You guys need another co-host? I'll do. No, this we do Let's go. No, we don't need any of this crap. Every guest lately is just been roasting me. Are you friends with Ryan Reeves from Vegas? I love do you guys-
0: him. I love Rebo. He's I, another I seen some a-hole. Of that. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he's a beauty. You, that was a great interview. It's so fun when you can do things like this. Like I, I will say you guys have an awesome podcast. You know how it is. It's really fun for us to be able to come on here and have a little personality and be able to talk to you in uh, like we trust you with what we're going to say. Yeah. And um, it's just fun that people can kind of show their personality because for a long time you couldn't if you showed personality as a hockey player um it meant you were selfish and And it's it's good that you're coming on our
1: the the shows lately our theme has been the most um, overpriced players and the worst contracts ever given out so you you and ryan were kind enough to come on during this segment of the show which is great for you guys you know yeah hats off to you because it's it takes a big man to say you know what i I didn't live up to my contract right
0: sheldon yeah, and you know what? <laughs> I don't care. I'm sitting in Idaho right now. Some of that money that, you know. Um, hey, I'm I got you where do they pay you? Whatever you're, whatever they think you're worth, right? So That's I just, right. Uh, every I contractor, wish. all those good years I had, if you go back and look, they were all contractors.
1: And uh, you know what? I wish I would have signed at Edmonton, because I could have got, like, if you're on the power plane, Edmonton,
0: I could have at least been second unit. I think that, um... You and Steve McIntyre probably would have Oof. played. You guys would have switched off, depending on depending on the night who were playing. He would probably play if we needed someone faster on the forecheck. You'd probably Stop. play if we needed some block shots.
1: I uh, listen. I had this argument with a lot of play. I was just surprisingly fast in on the forecheck. I was always first guy in the puck. Yeah, yeah.
0: You just were. Just I actually it had. All kidding aside, I I did have a lot of respect for you because you worked on your game. um, You played hard. You weren't a bully. um, You know, you're pretty honest. And I always appreciated that about some tough guys, right? There's some guys who go around and, you know, Darcy Hortichuk would always skate. And I just had no respect for the guy. They try to embarrass you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if I don't want to fight, you're not going to stay on me and, you know and And I always appreciated that um about you, and I really honest while you're giving me so many compliments i guess i'll I'll return it to you um I really did love how that all happened with your year with the all star game and you still have to go out and play it. This is what people forget right that the, the mm-hmm. story's not already written. you still have to go out and play, and you have to score a couple of goals, and you have to do your part um when you get there and you're with the best players in the world, you still have to make it that fairy tale. And you did. So I'm happy for it.
1: I still have to go out and go top shelf on yeah. uh, Braden Hopi. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah, no, I trust me. I do know. It's a All tough right. Job. Tim, one more, Tim, let's get this guy out of here.
2: Last question. We have a lot of young kids that listen to the show. What advice do you give them about becoming a better hockey player?
0: Well, if it was my own kids, I would say try every sport. Um, don't you don't need to play hockey every day of the year. Um, you can try other things. I think that playing baseball made me a better hockey player, hand-eye, swing a bat. Um, it it got me out of thinking hockey all the time. I think that some parents now it's just hard. It's, it's a lot of pressure on kids to always be so intense at 10 or 11 years old, um, even younger to just have a one track mind. And then it's just the obvious thing, right? You got to have fun. If it's not fun and your heart's not in it, it's a, it's really tough to get to the top of somewhere when everyone around the world wants that job and they're willing to, to, to go places that you might not um, be willing to take yourself. And so I would say have fun with it and, and try other things and don't get burned out on one thing. Great
1: advice. Renaissance man. In every sense of the word, intellect, just brute strength. Sheldon, Surrey, Thank you for joining us, man. This was a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed it. All kidding yeah. aside, you're a great dude. This was awesome.
0: Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me on Tim. Thanks, man. You, you do nice a great coming. job carrying this show. <laughs>
1: just one. I try. Someone's got to do it, you know,
0: <laughs> <laughs> not easy
1: on that note. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks everybody. Have a good 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 day.
0: Cheers. See See you boys. Thanks for listening to dropping the gloves with John Scott, a member of the nation network of podcasts, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode.